Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man with heavily sanitised hands. His name <laughs> is Taylor Rockwell. I see you over there with your squirty stuff. <laughs> it's it's still hanging from the lamp, as it has been. I think I've only hand, hand sanitised once in the last like week and it was after we were reading stuff about coronavirus yesterday. <laughs> Did you think you could get it through your computer? I got nervous. I got, <laughs> you never know, man. You never know. You can get music through there. If audio can come through a computer, I feel like so too can disease. But we are keeping um, a clean office as much as possible. Not in terms of bottles strewn around, but in terms of... <laughs> you can see our office, right? Germs passed back and forth. <laughs> sure. Don't confuse empty yes, coffee and... cups. <laughs> Don't confuse empty coffee cups with germs. No, we're just incubating our own diseases in those coffee cups that we haven't washed <laughs> out. If our, if our office manager slash building manager wanted us to rinse those coffee cups out, they should have put a sink in our office. That is true. Mm. That is true. All right. Today's show, we have lots of listener questions we to do. answer. We're going to talk about the women's national team's win over Japan. We are. And we're going to talk about legal filings mm-hmm. and Carlos Cordero and all that stuff. It really is... The big topic, right? We're wearing our jerseys inside out. Yes, yes. But first, we do have coronavirus updates as it relates to soccer. Mm -hmm. It's been a strange day. Uh, It's been a strange week, but a strange day. Uh, Since last we recorded, which I believe is 1.30 in the morning last night, Mm -hmm. uh, we have had the friendlies, the U.S. men's friendlies uh, later this month. So against the Netherlands and against Wales, Mm -hmm. both in Europe, both cancelled, right? They're just not happening. Cancelled, right. Uh, Major League Soccer has postponed the season for 30 days. Uh, USL, USL League One have followed suit. USL Championship and League One have followed suit. Uh, La Liga has postponed action. CONCACAF Champions League postponed. There are rumors the Bundesliga might just shut it down for the season, not have a champion, uh, have the promoted teams come up. They'll play with, I think it was 23 teams next season. Okay. And then five teams would be relegated. That's the rumor that is not official. Relegated next season, no one relegated this season. Right. Is the crucial part, Mm -hmm. right? No champion, but the top four still go to the Champions League. Yeah, Paderborn just looking around quietly like, we would, we'd be okay with that. Yeah, That'd let's be do fine. it. We're, uh, we're all in. I actually think if you're going to cancel seasons, mm-hmm. that sounds like the way to do it, right? You mm-hmm. don't declare a champion because you don't have a full season, uh, but you give everyone the European spot. You don't relegate anyone, but you don't punish anyone by not mm-hmm. giving them promotion. It seems like everybody gets a little bit of what they want. Yep. Um, I mean, I think like the fifth place team right now will probably be a little bit bummed mm-hmm. with the, with not being in there. But I, I think other than that, yeah, it's probably about as fair as you could make it. And I say that because Bayern Munich are top right now, mm-hmm. and it feels like Bayern Munich are just like, yeah, we all right, we don't, we won't have another Bundesliga to throw in the yeah. pile. But imagine if this happened in England with Liverpool six points shy of securing mm-hmm. Premier League trophy. Yeah. Then it becomes more of an issue. Do you right? feel, we'll I talk about if, that in the future if and when it happens. Do you feel like there's any chance that the Premier League would try to play like a couple more games until Liverpool mathematically secured the title? I mean, it wouldn't be advisable no. from, to uh, to weigh Liverpool's title hopes mm-hmm. against the health of a nation. No, so no, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they try it. I mean, you never know. I will say this, though. Like, <laughs> I'd be okay with Liverpool just being declared champions. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, in golf, I don't play a lot of golf, but when you have a ball right next to the hole, don't they call it a gimme? Like, they won't even make you go and put it. Not mm-hmm. in professional golf, but yeah. when you play casually. It's like a gimme, right? Don't even bother taking that shot. It's right next to the hole. Yeah. yeah. I think it still ends it. up counting against you, though. Like, I think they still count that stroke. So here, I guess they would still count Liverpool's title. But That's what I mean. Yes, it a would, gimme. It would definitely have an asterisk next to it, which I, maybe then non-Liverpool fans would be okay with because it How gives them a reason. Smiley to, face next to it. Sure, of I'm fine with that. A smiley <laughs> face next to it. And I should say, like weirdly, with everything we've said, the the one that really resonated to me, even though I don't much care for college basketball, is that uh, the NCAA announced announced uh, all spring championships yeah. will be canceled, not postponed, canceled. Which no much believe, madness. No much madness. Everyone has to stay sane in March. It's it's going to be a rational month uh, <laughs> as opposed to normal. March rationality. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe that makes up for all the work that would have been taken off for the tournament because yeah. now people are probably going to work from home instead. There we go. Yeah. Um, anything else that we need to know about that's been uh, I mean, suspended or canceled? We've been recording for four minutes, so there's a decent chance we that like everything news. else has been canceled uh, mid-game. <laughs> Who knows? Um, oh, at time of recording, that yep. U.S. soccer release that talked about the um, uh, the Wales and Netherlands friendlies mm-hmm. being canceled. The Olympic CONCACAF qualifying tournament scheduled to start mm-hmm. March 20th was the U.S.'s first game right in Guadalajara. Right mm-hmm. now they're saying – we're mo- CONCACAF are saying we're monitoring it. Yeah. So not cancelled yet. It feels like that may be next on the list. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, it's still going ahead. Yeah, Liga Neki's last I saw, again, it was like four hours ago, so it may well have changed. Uh, I believe they were going to still play this weekend, but like operate under strict protocols and whatever the government recommended. Uh, I say that just to say that, yes, yeah, since qualifying is in Guadalajara, if it were like Liga Neki's had already canceled for a month, it would be that much more likely that I think Olympic qualifying would not take place. All right, so eyes on that story. Mm-hmm. Eyes on that story. Yep, yep, um, yep. Okay, you ready to move on? Let's do it. Okay. There was a game last night. There was. Um, U.S. Women's National Team played the final She Believes Cup game, beat Japan 3-1. Before we talk about all the legal Mm -hmm. stuff and Carlos Cordero having to apologize and Coca-Cola being angry, we should talk about the actual game. Okay. Um, So three goals from the United States. Let's let's quickly go through these goals. Megan Rapinoe Mm -hmm. was back at it. And by back at it, I mean scoring early for the United States. Yes, uh, right. scoring early. It's a Lindsey Horan uh, brought down uh, what we thought was going to be a serious shoulder injury. She instead plays the entire game and uh, scores the third goal. Mm-hmm. But it's from that uh, foul, the ensuing free kick, buried by Megan Rapino. Yes. And it is everything you want in a free kick. It's got like pace on it. It's got whip on uh-huh. it. It's not unlike a David Beckham mm-hmm. free kick of old, where it had the bend and it had the pace. Up and down and then like yeah. the full-stretch goalkeeper. You know I love a full-stretch goalkeeper as the ball goes into the back Why of the Why is that? Is it because it means they've definitely absolutely tried their very best, yeah. yet they're still beating. I think it's just because it makes it look that much more like picturesque because you see the goalkeeper just not quite get there because yeah, yeah. it is probably a, a sign of how well struck a free kick is if the goalkeeper just doesn't even move and is like well I had no way to deal with that one yeah. but just the idea that they tried and still ended up plummeting to earth and slamming into the ground without making the save so that much more insulting Bart Simpson should get the uh, the Japanese key- keeper Yamashita mm-hmm. the at least you tried case there we go <laughs> <laughs> don't throw it in the trash actually give it to her uh, I don't know. I mean, you don't know where that cake has been. You know what we've been talking about, unless you can get some hand sanitizer on that one. Throw that cake in the trash. <laughs> Up next, yeah. Kristen Press mm-hmm. in the 26th minute scores. I don't know how to describe this goal. Is it a, is it a chip? It's a chip, right? Yeah. From the top of the box. Okay, yeah, I think so you have succinctly described it. So it's terrible distribution yes. from the keeper uh-huh. straight to the feet of Megan Rapino. Yep. Rapino like quickly one not one time but very quickly uh, feeds it into Kristen Press who does a good job staying on side. She drops Press, it, she drops in a little bit. Good awareness there. Yeah, yeah, she drops in. I don't know if she sees the keeper off her line or just assumes the keeper is off her line, but perfectly chips the ball over Yamashita's head into the top left corner. I. I think from the replays we could see, Julie Foudy, the commentator, said, like, oh, she gets a sneaky little peek in there to see where the keeper is. There's no peek. They have that one angle. She never peeks. Mm-hmm. I, I think that- If this was a Seinfeld episode, I'd be saying, I see no peek. No, there's no peek. There's no peek. <laughs> <laughs> What's a peek? Um, no, instead, I think this really was Christian Press having that sort of the predatory, predatory awareness you want from a striker to sort of know goalkeepers off her line. I'm in good position. I should just hit this one to the back post, but put some loft behind it because the keeper has probably stayed where she is. I think she evaluates all that. Maybe she has a tiny, tiny glance up, but her eyes don't appear to like be monitoring the entire situation uh, in front of goal. So I think it's just really good awareness from her. Less good from mm-hmm. the U.S. In the 58th minute, Iwabuchi yep. scores. And if you listen to our Liverpool Atletico review yesterday, we talked about um, for the Wijnaldum goal, Atletico mm-hmm. defenders were just backing off, backing off, backing off. 
it's pretty much the same situation here, right? Del Camper and Davidson, the two centre-backs, are just intent on going backwards. Mm-hmm. And when it's squared to I- Iwabuchi, she has too much space because yeah. of the back off. And then it's and it's the sort of like it's the conundrum of having that back four sort of narrow is that Kelly O'Hara, the right back, is tucked inside. She then has to go uh, sliding over for uh, Nakajima, who has the assist for the goal. But so w- once she moves, as Dahlkemper continues to back off, Daryl can see it with the gesture I'm making with my hands. But it's literally creating a bunch of space yeah. around 12 yards from goal because Dahlkemper dropping off, Kelly O'Hara vacating. They're, equals all, space they're to expecting shoot. the um, the corridor of uncertainty yeah. ball across, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're just just ready to defend that and clear yep. that but instead it's even though it's square it's kind of a cutback yeah, yeah. It, it is and it's good awareness but that's maybe where you want to see the united states just be a bit more proactive in their marking as mm-hmm. opposed to dropping and anticipating the final goal that seals it it's lindsey haran 83rd minute header off a mallory pew corner mm-hmm. i'm gonna say pew slightly overhits this because i think she's aiming for juliet's at the near post only because that's a U.S. Women's National Team classic, mm-hmm. is Juliet at the near post. And the yeah. pew cross came in kind of low, but just floated over Ertz's head. I guess part of the, part of the deal is Haran's there yeah. if it's slightly over here, mm-hmm. right? She's, she's the cover. I, I agree with you because you know I love a celebration. You know I love overanalyzing a celebration. And Julie Ertz makes that near post run, and it sort of goes over her, and she continues the run and then turns around yeah. and sees it go in and gives it the, like, Julie Ertz celebration. But in that turn, there was definitely a, like, oh, we'll see where this one went. Like, it is definitely a, like, oh, that was over me. Oh, yay, they scored anyway. <laughs> like, it's sort of, it was sort of like, oh, that didn't go quite to plan. Oh, but it worked out fine. So the U.S. wins 3-1. Mm-hmm. Once again, lifts the She Believes Cup. We got our trophy back. You we sure got did. Our trophy I back. had it the whole time, as I mentioned yesterday. <laughs> um, but the You don't the, seem as devastated there. The big, big news from this yeah. was, for one thing, uh, the U.S. women, for the, uh, when they came out, I think mm-hmm. for the anthem, at least when they lined up, they wore the warm-up jerseys inside out mm-hmm. so you could still see the stars, but you couldn't see the crest. Right. Because... Legal filings, some of the legal filings were made, well, the legal filings were made public mm-hmm. and some dedicated journalists skimmed through those legal filings and found the uh, the most important quotes. A.K.A. Meg Linehan? Meg Linehan was definitely one of them. Yeah. yeah. Can I also... Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald did the same as well. That, yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Um, uh, can I give you my, my, my PSA for a moment, which yeah. is if you see the people, it took me a while because I'm dense. Uh, if you see the Twitter profiles that have changed their profile picture to a weird badge with four mar- like four little like points on it, yep. that's the uh, inverted badge. It took yep. me a minute to realize. I was like, why is everyone it's the doing inside this? out badge, right? Yeah, so it you does. can't see the Federation crest, but you can see the stars. I, it it's kind a genius of, move. It is, except it sort of looks with the black and white uh, like uh, color scheme, I guess. It it looks a bit more like Imperial Order from Star Wars. So for a moment, I was like, is this a new political thing? Anything? And I guess sort of it is, but mostly it's solidarity with the women's national team. Well, this dovetails very nicely to our first mm-hmm. listener question. Ian Nolan. Who could have guessed that that would happen? Ian Nolan asks us, what are your guys' thoughts mm-hmm. on U.S. soccer's recent comments about the men's and women's sides not being equal in terms of physical demands and competition? First of all, I feel your pain, Ian, because I, I tend to go with y'all. And then y'all apostrophe S is even a weirder thing to so write. Two apostrophes in there. Yeah, uh, your guys is, is is challenging as well. I mean, honestly, it should be G U Y S apostrophe done. All right, that's yep. fair. All right, so question answered. Should we move on? <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to talk about mm-hmm. here. All right, so let's get into this. Okay. So first of all, let's give the uh, the background for anyone who either hasn't been paying attention or is intermittently mm-hmm. paid attention and is confused by the many, many, many things going on. Right. right now, there is a gender discrimination lawsuit, right, where the U.S. Women's National Team is suing uh, U.S. soccer, saying they have violated the Equal Pay Act by paying the women's team less than the men's team, right? This has been ongoing. Mm-hmm. There have been legal filings. And in a recent legal filing, 
U.S. soccer's legal team made the argument that the job of a men's national team player competing against senior men's national teams requires a higher level of skill based on speed and strength Mm -hmm. than does the job of women's national team player competing against senior women's national teams. So essentially making the argument that because the men's game is faster and the players are stronger, which I think biologically is true, Mm -hmm. right? But they're using that as the argument that it's a different job requiring Mm -hmm. a higher level of skill based on speed and strength and therefore it makes sense for us to pay the women less. Mm -hmm. They also, in those same legal filings, said the job of men's national team player carries more responsibility within US soccer than the job of women's national team player from an Equal Pay Act standpoint. The argument being that men's soccer is more high profile Mm -hmm. and so men's national team um, uh, is sort of a more important job. Yeah, I thought it was weird when they said, and men don't even menstruate, so they don't have to miss time. <laughs> that seemed that seemed inappropriate to me. It's telling that they did not say that, and yet I wouldn't be surprised if there were some argument about, like, biological factors dictate that women, like, can't participate as much as men. Like, it was, it's not a great look, U.S. soccer. It's not a great look. And for an organization that consistently uh, emphasized what it is to not have a great look... Really, really uh, moving themselves head and shoulders above. And there's more to the story. Let's um, do it. The next day, there was a reaction from some of U.S. soccer's partners, mm-hmm. which basically means sponsors. It's yep. a nice way of saying sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, first out of the blocks was uh, Coca-Cola. Yep. Um, Coca-Cola said – oh, I have, the, I have the quote somewhere, but I've lost it. I'm sorry. Coca-Cola said, we are extremely disappointed with the unacceptable and offensive comments made by U.S. soccer. We have asked to meet with them immediately to express our concerns. Like Pepsi, this is not okay. <laughs> I added the last part. You the had a Pepsi. Part. I had a Pepsi joke too. <laughs> what was your Pepsi Mine joke? Mine was just going to be Pepsi then tweeted us too. <laughs> um, also expressing their concerns apparently Budweiser, Visa, um, yeah. Deloitte, who mm-hmm. are the presenting sponsor of the She Believes Cup. Um, none of them are happy. Then the next day, which mm-hmm. is yesterday at this point, right, Carlos Cordero had to issue an apology saying essentially we apologize for the language used mm-hmm. in that legal filing. Yes. Oh, so that's where we're at. That's where we're at right now. Oh, on top of this, Grant Wall wrote an editorial yep. for Sports Illustrated essentially saying Carlos Cordero must resign. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don Garber today uh, came out with a public statement that uh, like MLS, Commission, MLS Don Don and Don Soccer United Marketing Families, as he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, not happy with, with uh, what's happened, have spoken to Carlos Cordero. He is going to – I think he said he's going to convene the board of directors to have a, a so meeting Don Gar- with this. So Don Garber is on the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors mm-hmm. uh, because of his role as MLS yep. commissioner. So mm-hmm. he, has, um, he has a seat at the table to make his uh, make his feelings known. Hey, everybody. This is Taylor jumping in very quickly because we have an update. Uh, the news is coming thick and fast uh, this past week, uh, but it turned out this evening that Carlos Cordero, U.S. soccer president, I should say former U.S. soccer president, because he announced his resignation uh, late Thursday in the wake of the legal argument we're talking about right now. Uh, he tweeted, it has been an incredible privilege to serve as the president of U.S. soccer. My one and only mission has always been to do what is best for our federation. After discussions with the board of directors, I have decided to step down down effective immediately. Uh, he has a full statement on Twitter. You can find that if you want. But just wanted to let you know that he has uh, decided to step down, maybe with a little push from the board of directors. But either way, uh, that doesn't really change anything we're about to be talking about aside from what happens with Carlos Cordero, because now we have the answer. Yes. Um, so th- that's kind of like the reaction to it. I did want to add to your point about Cordero's letter. Uh, I know you're not an office viewer, but for those that are, there's an episode where like Dwight messes up and he has to issue a statement of regret and it literally just says, I state my regret, which is because he doesn't really mean it. That's kind of what this feels like. It sort of is a like, oh, 
we didn't realize that this wildly polarizing and downright discriminatory mm-hmm. thing would be problematic. One interesting thing in Cordero's mm-hmm. apology letter was that um, I, I didn't write the name down, but uh, they've hired another law firm. Mm-hmm. So they're essentially trying to throw the law firm they hired. Do we cheat them and how? Safeworth Shaw. <laughs> Safeworth Shaw was the original law firm. Yeah. I think Cordero's slightly either trying to throw them under the bus mm-hmm. or trying to say um, it's their fault we've moved on from them. Like we're using a different law firm that's a little, that won't be the same, right? Right. Um, Mr. Kennedy, the longtime editor of Soccer America, made the point that Safeworth Shaw have a long, long history of essentially union busting. Like right. They're the law firm you use if you want to go after any sort of union, like the mm-hmm. Women's National Team Players Association. So US Soccer knew what they were doing mm-hmm. by hiring this specific law firm to combat a union. Right. And this is, this is the new law firm, right? That's what you're saying? The, the no, no, the original law firm. Okay, all right. Yeah, because yeah, it just feels to me like, yeah, if you're – uh, sort of defense and explanation and like mitigating response is well we've got new lawyers like that doesn't really scream we yeah, recognize yeah. the error of our ways so which is the problem I would say with the problem with this entire situation is that it revolves around legal situations so yeah. they can't really apologize because it accepts culpability so instead you have to kind of have these half mm-hmm. measures that make it kind of worse and this is the problem right right okay I want to I want to get into some details sure. on this because I think. There are a lot of details to this lawsuit, mm-hmm. and there, there are legal ways that you can argue either way that the women should be paid more, but maybe U.S. soccer have a legal argument that, okay, but we don't want to pay the full amount because, for example, like some of that money comes from FIFA. We can get mm-hmm. into the details um, on all that. But the big point is that I think by making these, like, these statements via their legal team, letting their legal team make these statements that look so very, very bad, mm-hmm. U.S. soccer have absolutely – lost mm-hmm. any moral authority and I've lost the sort of um, – what, what's the phrase I'm looking for? They've lost the, the moral argument yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. They've taken a massive misstep here, which whatever the legal process, I think this is going to cost them. Yeah, uh, I think I think In terms of reputation of well. like how much future sponsors mm-hmm. will pay. And that was Grandwell's point is like, like, the, like no matter what, you're the federation that basically – made this argument concrete mm-hmm. and and his argument was like i think you can't really re- like re- like recover from that at least not in the short term i think you can which is why there's been that movement towards codero needs to step down Ooh, okay mm-hmm. should we get into the details of what the actual um legal filing is yeah that works for me yeah let's get into the details of literally uh what the u.s women's national team players are asking for okay. and sort of why u.s soccer is saying no we can't give you that mm-hmm. right because I understand that all the focus is on this idiotic thing they've said about men's soccer requiring more speed and strength and then equating that with more skill. Mm-hmm. I think we can address that a little later, yep. but I think it's worth knowing the entire background here, right? Mm. So U.S. Women's National Team, again, as I said at the top, they're suing U.S. soccer under the Equal Pay Act um, because they've been paying them less than the men in the terms of the CBA, right? right? One of the major things they're asking for is back pay for what they would have won, the money that they would have been awarded for their World Cup performance if they'd had the same CBA as the men. And it comes to a lot of money, right? It comes to almost $67 million mm-hmm. is, what they're, is what they're asking for. U.S. soccer's argument in response is that CBA is based on how much money, how much FIFA World Cup money is given to the Men's World Cup and to the Women's World Cup. Mm-hmm. That's one of the sticking points that they absolutely seem to be not budging on either way. Right, which is an argument that makes sense to me. Yes. And now I should add, like, I am not a legal expert. I have not read the 8 billion pages of, of documentation. So there are people out there who, who know much more than I. But I would just say this, that, yeah, like, the argument is FIFA give 
uh, like U.S. soccer prize money for what the men do if and when they qualify. Mm-hmm. They give prize money to U.S. soccer. When the women win the World Cup, it is the situation right now that there is more prize money coming in from FIFA for the men's side than for the women's side. And in rough numbers, there was $400 million right. available in prize money to give to federations for men's teams at the 2018 World Cup. There was $30 million for mm-hmm. all teams to be spread at the 2019 Women's World Cup. Right. That's the sort of level of difference we're talking about. And the, the CBAs that they're currently operating under and have operated under and won World Cups under um, reflect those massively mismatched numbers. Yeah. And the U.S. women are saying U.S. soccer should equalize that with back pay and in future agreements. Yeah, w- wasn't it something ridiculous like that it was like just if you – for the bonuses for winning qualification games and being in the squad – like to go to the World Cup, I think the ma- like the maximum you could have received from the women's side is like thirty grand, and for the men's side, it's like already one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or yes, something. It, like, yeah, it escalates it, very. Quickly. It really, really yeah. does. And it is a fact that there is more money in the men's game than mm-hmm. the women's game. But the women are saying that U.S. soccer should essentially figure that out. Mm-hmm. One, honestly, one compromise solution that I could see is not asking U.S. soccer to pull the money out of nowhere and just match the money that's missing mm-hmm. from FIFA. But just to pull the, the men's prize money and the women's prize money, I think this is what Australia decided to do in the end, put it all together and then distribute mm-hmm. it equally. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I think that is maybe what the idea was or at least what an acceptable compromise but that's not would what be. The, no, that's not what the US women's team was asking for, right? They were asking to literally match what right. they would have had if they'd operated under the men's CBA. Here's a phrase that I only learned from the first episode of Succession that felt like a first position yeah. from the US women's national team that was sort of like, here is the, like, the absolute extreme of what we want. Mm-hmm. We're expecting a counter and we can yeah. go from there. And it feels like more so US soccer has been like, eh, we can't, it's FIFA. And even the uh, letter that Carlos Cordero issued saying, like, we've we've made some strides, like, we've offered them this. It was, like, for non-FIFA games. It was So the language was, it was a March 7th mm-hmm. letter where Cordero was essentially taking a shot at the women by mm-hmm. saying, um, we have offered them, like, a future CBA that would offer identical pay to the men in all U.S. soccer-controlled games, yeah. which is um, a slightly uh, weaselly, I think is mm-hmm. what I'm going to use, uh, way of deliberately not mentioning that all that prize money would not be accounted for. Yeah. Because it's only U.S. soccer control games. Yeah, and, and it feels a bit like if you... If and to like, be very clear, U.S. soccer does not technically control its own games when it goes to a FIFA World Cup, right? Yes. So it does not include World Cup money. No. Uh, so, yeah, I, it just feels to me a little bit like U.S. soccer's response was... Like, it's like if you and I were haggling over the price of a car and, like, I wanted this price and your response was like, well, how about 100 bucks for the scooter? It's like, well, hold on now. That, that is a separate issue <laughs> yeah. from what we are talking about. I want at least four wheels. Yeah, and we're not even at the point where we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. So now we've got a problem, and I think that's kind of where we find ourselves. Oh, okay. And it seems that US soccer have been willing to fight to the death on this. And it seems that for that reason, they're willing to go with these further and further extreme Mm -hmm. legal arguments, which brings us to uh, the argument that US soccer's legal team Mm -hmm. went with recently, which again is that men's and women's game are different. And essentially, it's so different that the men deserve to be paid more. Mm -hmm. This is what US soccer went with. It is. And it is uh, – what's the w- – dumb. It's dumb. It's yeah. a dumb argument uh, because I, I understand where they're coming from. And it is not – like I am aware that I'm going to get like tweeted at for this. But it, don't, it, honestly, don't think about it. OK, fine. Yeah. Then I'll just say this. Like, it is the case. Like, it, if you see it as two different sports, it really helped me understand it because if you're seeing it as like why isn't she hitting this 80-yard pass? Why can't they just do that? Like it is biologically you, – you're expecting two different people to behave the exact same way and that's not going to be the case. But no one says that has to to be the standard, right? U.S. soccer has decided exactly. that that should be the standard uh, but to also, meet, the, uh, meet the equal payout. But also, like, there's they've th- made that decision and then 
backwards justified it. Themselves. Well, but also like what I'm saying is that like yes, like from a scientific standpoint, yes, there are biological differences. But to then take that and be like, oh, and also that means that the men are like work harder. It's like, well, no, no, hold on now. Yeah. Like you can't do that. You have to look at it from both sides. And I would say that like, like just because I see it like them as a little bit different at the same time, that doesn't mean that like one is inherently easier or harder than the other one. They both yep. have their own individual circumstances that make them incredibly challenging. And it's what makes them both elite athletes. So mm-hmm. that's where I feel like the United States is or U.S. soccer is being a bit disingenuous with the argument they're putting forward and then also uh, stupid at the and same then, time. And then there's also the issue of uh, talking about the men's national team players carry more responsibility. Yeah. You could argue that the women's national team has brought way more glory and a much like has given it a shine mm-hmm. <laughs> to the U.S. Soccer Federation crest way more than the men have in recent years. Like the, the reputation of American soccer is so much higher because of the women's performance on the field that you could argue that they carry more responsibility because it stopped, it stopped the last two years being an absolute disaster for U.S. soccer, right? Because yeah. one team didn't qualify for the World Cup, disaster, but then another team actually won the World Cup, mm-hmm. so slightly less of a disaster. And, and like if you want to use that word responsibility, like, like, like who, is, who has the responsibility? Responsibility of like carrying the program and being this like face and the weight of of what it is to represent the United, like the United States. In that same argument, U.S. Soccer put out the idea that like the men have to go on the road and it's really difficult and even at home it can be a challenging atmosphere. And it's like, well, right there, you look at the women's games where you have you know thousands of children in the stands like cheering yeah. on their idols and it's like that's a big responsibility to uh-huh. these like you have got a bunch of kids who are buying into the program because of the success of these women and now you're saying that that doesn't like carry the same weight as like people get mad at you when you go to Honduras because, and because the men's team aren't popular at home right yeah yeah and and I don't want to stray t- right. I don't want to stray too far into like it is this frustrating narrative of like if you are like on the side of the U.S. women's national team, then you sort of like are like bashing the men's national team. That seems to be a thing that goes like hand in hand, and I don't think it needs to. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that if U.S. soccer is going to use the men's team as an example of what they're trying to argue, I think it follows then that you have to use the men's team as the counter example at the same time. I also think there's a much more um, realistic financial argument outside of the FIFA prize money. Uh, companies like Coca-Cola straight up are partners with U.S. soccer, mm-hmm. right? They are partners with U.S. soccer and some of what the women's national, a lot of what the women's national team brings in terms of winning World Cups is mm-hmm. what Coca-Cola want to be associated with, right? Yeah. So you could easily make an argument that the women's national team brings in more revenue in terms of teams wanting to, um, brands wanting to be associated with U.S. soccer, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you could say the women's team has more responsibility there. I'm, I'm basically saying you can very easily uh, have arguments with these points that U.S. soccer is making. Mm-hmm. So should we try to give a final answer to this or do you, you have more things you want to say well i'm interested in what happens next because mm-hmm. i really feel like we've um it's sort of gone nuclear right mm-hmm. instead of just being this like legal thing that was going to unfold and then there was a decision and then there was a new cba it seems like we've really gone from that moment do you remember when um, there was the celebration of the world cup win mm-hmm. and megan rapino was on very friendly team, terms with carlos cordero yep. and it's like we're going to get that equal pay and you know what i mean it all mm-hmm. seemed quite like oh something's about to be agreed on and everything's going to be happy we've now gone to the other extreme where mm-hmm. literally the players are going out there and deliberately not showing the crest mm-hmm. right I, I just think we're in new territory here and i don't know what happens next like how is this relationship ever repaired I, I'm, I honestly, I don't know how Carlos Cordero stays in a job. Like, I really don't. Are you uh, with Grant Wall that he has to go? Yes, I think so. I, I mean, I don't know if he will. Uh, but, but, and I think that a lot of U.S. soccer's behavior over the last year can be sort of explained by 
not having a lot of scrutiny in the past because they've been qualifying and so it's kind of been okay. And I think the failure to qualify for the World Cup brought about a lot of frustration from the fan base. And I think yeah. that's where you see the CEO situation and Jay Berhalter and everything that happened there with Glassdoor. And it feels like U.S. soccer did not learn their lesson. I think with these filings, it's sort of – to me, representative of them thinking, like, no one's going to care. No one's going to read all yeah. these. No, one, Like, whatever. It's a lawsuit. Everybody just knows, like, oh, there's a lawsuit. We'll figure out what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very clear now, like, you kind of can't have that approach. And I don't know how it gets better, short of U.S. soccer completely caving. And that's not what they want to do, nor do I think it's what they necessarily need to do. But I think that I don't know how you resolve that relationship without – like a figurehead at the very least kind of making way. And Grant Wall makes a very good point in his article that um, there's the search for the new CEO is definitely hampered by this this like mm-hmm. horrible um, thing you'd have to walk in and try and deal with. Yeah. Where One of several you're lawsuits. You're at yeah. war with your most successful team. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. So to your point, it feels really strange that this felt like, okay, they both have their initial positions. They're going to go back and forth. They're going to reach some sort of compromise that neither one will really love, but they'll be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And we'll have Megan Rapino on amicable terms with Carlos Cordero. And instead, it's just been like, like expletives hurled back and forth instead. Here's my guess, is that this is such a massive misstep in terms of public relations by U.S. soccer mm-hmm. and by U.S. soccer's legal team, that whether they win this legal case or not, right? Maybe they win the legal case um, and... The U.S. women are not afforded, um, awarded the back pay of mm-hmm. what they would have won if they'd had the same CBA as the men. But they will have lost the public relations battle so heavily that maybe a new president, a new CEO comes in and the new CBA is very, 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 very generous mm-hmm. because it will have to be to make amends for what has happened here. Yep. I look forward to that happening, and I look forward to Carlos Cordero somehow eventually being blamed for the United States failing to qualify for the World Cup. That seems like what's going to happen is that's all just going to bleed together into, like, Carlos Cordero made all these things happen, and it's all his fault. Uh, And your uh, monitor seems to agree with me. It's not a monitor. It's my insulin Mm -hmm. delivery system. Um, This will be the last beep from it because it's officially dying. This is the second time in a week that this has happened. Mm -hmm. There we go. There we go. It is finished. All right, but that feels like a good point to end on. That that may have been U.S. soccer's reputation flatlining. It could be. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Um, So we have many other listener questions to get to. Anything else you wanted to mention on this one, Daryl? No, but I'm sure there'll be uh, more to talk about in the near future. And Mm -hmm. if if more and more soccer is cancelled, at least this uh, this lawsuit will give us things to talk about. It will indeed. Uh, But for now, should we talk about today's first sponsor? Yeah, today's show is Mm -hmm. sponsored by Hello. Fresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh makes cooking at home fun, easy, and, all caps, affordable. There we are. You can get mouthwatering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. That's with America's number one meal kit. It's where you live? It at is. your door? Perfect. All right, you open your door. It's right there. Dale sure takes it inside. Do. He cooks. He makes himself delicious food, and he's happy. So, yeah, it comes in the uh, the packaging. Mm-hmm. is very nice. Keeps things very cold, right? I really trust the HelloFresh box. Keeps things nice and cold. And then, like you said, pre-measured. Everything is a per- everything is in like a perfectly um, perfectly shaped little bag. Everything is exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. There is no waste, no leftovers. There's exactly what it says you need and exactly mm-hmm. what you need to cook. Yes, and in terms of uh, there being minimal waste, worth noting, uh, their carbon footprint is 25% lower than... And store-bought grocery-made meals. Uh, the source for that one being University of Michigan. They've got sources them. in there, Daryl. I trust They've you, got sources. Yeah, so if you're an Ohio State Buckeye, you might not trust that source, but everybody <laughs> else uh, should. That Ohio-Michigan rivalry is hilarious to me. Uh, intense, is that what you meant to say? It's two states that are very, very similar and have decided to argue about how similar they are. 
Uh, Daryl at TotalSoccerShow.com. <laughs> Add extra meals or lunches to your weekly I've order. I've spent time in both. They're very similar. Or throw in yummy sides and desserts like garlic bread and cookie dough. Uh, that's the first time I've used yummy in a very, very long time. <laughs> you can also easily change your delivery days or food preferences or even skip a week whenever you need. Like if you're not around, maybe mm-hmm. you don't want it delivered that week. Mm-hmm. So go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS10. Use code TSS10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash TSS10 and use code TSS10. TSS10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. All right. And then you have a big smile when the box comes to your door. That checks out. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Joey Jedlowski for sending us the following question. Yeah, what's Joey's question? If you could create a He Believes Cup, don't call it that, <laughs> uh, style, uh, uh, He Believes Style Cup tournament uh, for the U.S. men's national team, which three other nations would you invite to be in the group to give the USA an opportunity to demonstrate themselves against comparable opposition? Pausing there to say that I immediately wrote down a team, then finish reading the final three words and erase that team because the final part of this question is outside of CONCACAF. So Joey's asking us to put together a four-team tournament, mm-hmm. including the U.S. men's national team, that the U.S. would host, and it would be similar to the She Believes Cup mm-hmm. in that comparable talent level, so you're sort of challenged um, each game, mm-hmm. um, and it's got like a an almost like a competitive but not quite World Cup level to yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. So points are on the line. Everybody's taking it pretty seriously, but there's a little bit of experimentation as well, mm-hmm. right? The weird thing is with the U.S. women, because they're the best in the world, yep. they just invite the best possible teams mm-hmm. that they can. For the U.S. men, we have to bring it down. Yeah, a bit, that wouldn't right? work so well. And we have to see – yeah, if we invited like uh, Germany, Brazil, and France, mm-hmm. we would just be getting our ass kicked on home soil. Yeah, and like I think – like or you could even invite some like teams in between, um, but then you are still going to see the United States maybe sitting back a little bit more yeah. or losing some games because they're trying different stuff. And I think the point here was which teams would you want to see that would allow the United States to sort of play the Burhalter, uh, like aggressive possession, moving the ball, yeah. like being dominant, false nine but sort similar of situation. Level. Basically, mm-hmm. we're saying it's against teams of a similar level. Mm-hmm. Did you go to the FIFA rankings to see who was around the United States? Mm-hmm. All right. Then you will have found the same thing as me, that the U.S. is ranked 22nd in the world. Mm-hmm. 21st in the world is Peru. 20th is Senegal. 19th is Poland. And mm-hmm. going down, 23rd is Wales. 24th is Ukraine. 25th is Venezuela. 26th is Austria. I think that is – you can quibble with FIFA World Rankings – that's not a bad representation no. of where the U.S. is at in terms of facing similar mm-hmm. teams. Yep, and uh, a couple of those were already on my short list, and one of them got elevated to my final list, mostly because of that exact thing you just said. Okay, give us your final list then. Um, I have Wales. Yep. I have Japan. I have Austria. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why so? Um, I, I think like Wales and Austria give you sort of big name players. While simult- I was really excited for that Wales friendly, by the way, I should add yes. because they give you sort of like the big name talents in Gareth Bale and Aaron, Aaron, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, but the big name talents that like are of a level where we could maybe contain them a little bit. Um, and then same thing for Austria because you'd get a a like a decent from top to bottom team punctuated by players like Davalava. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then Japan, like I. I kind of looked at the She Believes Cup from this time around, and I was looking at, like, okay, who are a team who are consistently good at, like, the men's level, like, go to the World Cups, perform well, always cause problems, but aren't necessarily that, like, next-level elite team? And it was basically, I thought, yeah, the Japan men's team. Like, it kind of correlates. There's also – J-League has, like, some similarities Mm -hmm. with MLS, right? I also consider Australia – for very That's similar reasons. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in a similar boat to the US, right? That they often go to the World Cup and getting out of the group is one thing, but they don't expect to go far, far, far in the tournament. Mm-hmm. The A-League is similar. They have marquee players instead of designated players. There's a lot of similarities there. 
in the end, I went with three European teams because mm-hmm. I think we're always measuring ourselves against European teams, right? Yeah. My backup side of two European teams, I'm wondering if you've got any Okay. Of them. Well, I'm going to tell you. Um, you I went with a similar rationale to you as well, like teams that were comparable in talent in that we could play them and at least hope to win, realistically mm-hmm. hope to win yep. in a way that you can't when you play like Brazil or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they also needed to have marketable stars mm-hmm. so that the tournament would be sort of worth showing up to get a glimpse at big-name players. I went with the U.S. national team, mm-hmm. Wales, for mm-hmm. the exact reasons you mentioned. Come see Gareth Bale. But also, good, good yeah. uh, match of talent, right? Poland. I had them as my other one. Yep. I think we're at a similar level, and there's Robert Lewandowski, and there's some other players yeah. really I mean, worth the best striker in the world, yeah. yeah. And Norway. They were on there. I had a Scandinavian team originally because it felt like they've got, like, I had Denmark as they've got a couple of young, promising players who could then make that next level. But then Norway makes a lot of sense because I'm going to guess Odegaard and Haaland. Odegaard and Haaland. Yep. Uh, especially Erling Haaland <laughs> yeah. is a player that uh, people would pay money to go and see mm-hmm. right now. I think he has that sort of profile. I think he does too. Odegaard is more of a hipster pick, but those who are in the know would go mm-hmm. money and see, uh, go and pay money to see Odegaard play. So US, Wales, Poland, Norway. Yeah, it's it's strange though because it that is like Norway themselves are a hipster pick because you're right that Holland has that mainstream appeal. Mm-hmm. There are probably people who couldn't tell you that he's Norwegian even though they've watched like yeah. him play three different times. But would you agree they're at a comparable level to the US as well? Like we give them a good game, they give us a good game. Like any of these games could end with a win, a loss, or a draw. Um, I here's what I would say to that. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't place any bets on this game. Basically, basically, exactly. I would say no. I wouldn't agree that they're like of a comparable comparable level. And simultaneously, I would say yes because it's a team that I would like against Norway. I would expect the United States to get a result, but I think that again is Joey's point. Is like you want a team that you think the United States could and maybe should get like a win against, but maybe also couldn't. And that's where I am with them. Is like it's not quite the level of like mm, we'd be lucky to get a win. It's sort of like we should get a win. I think, but I could be wrong. That's the kind of opposition I'm looking for. You ready for the next question? Mm-hmm. Shreyas Romani. Shreyas Romani wants to know who is a non-soccer playing athlete mm-hmm. who you would like to see play soccer. I've got to tell you, when I was answering this question, I couldn't get out of my head the footage we saw about two months ago mm-hmm. of LeBron James yep. playing in a, like a 5v2 kick around mm-hmm. type thing and just how stiff and almost like unathletic he looked. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely shocking to me. Yeah, it's, it's the late to soccer like uh, tendencies. It's the stiff legs. It's the stiff He's legs. He's got the stiff legs. Mm-hmm. I thought about that a lot. I also think with a lot of uh, professional athletes in the United States, there is bulk that you don't see with mm. uh, soccer players. You yeah. tend to see like a lot of lean muscle, and that's what I was thinking with some of my selections. Okay, uh, I have gone with the number one. I also think I'm less plugged into a lot of sports than I think I've ever been. Because oh, we spend we've... way too much time on soccer. I, yeah, like there's a lot of rugby players that I thought were a good. I thought rugby would be a good match because mm-hmm. it's like similar length, like yep. 80 minutes. Lot similar like stamina and speed is needed. Lots mm-hmm. of running in short bursts for a long time, right? Which is not. True of every sport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized I don't know who the famous rugby players are right now. Like, I was going to Johnny Wilkinson, but yeah. I think he retired like a long, long time ago. And then I found myself being like, I don't, like, why am I not watching more sports? Like, I don't even watch that much soccer. And then I paused and counted the number of games I watch on average. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, it's seven games. Like, <laughs> I'm watching plenty. So, what um, did you go with? I went with uh, number one, I want to see Steph Curry. Steph I feel like Curry, Steph Curry okay. has the sort of, like, uh, the slight frame athleticism that mm-hmm. I think you need to be quick and agile on your feet. But I think obviously he has the athletic ability and skill set and over 
overall like the intelligence and awareness of everything that's going on to run an NBA offense and do it very, very well. I would love to see him as a number 10 uh, playing soccer. Okay, I went with Rafa Nadal. Mm-hmm. So Rafa Nadal. I almost went tennis. <laughs> Rafa Nadal, as I understand mm-hmm. it. Um, so I end up accidentally watching a lot of tennis because mm-hmm. uh, my mom is addicted to tennis. So anytime I, I spend time at home or she comes to visit, tennis is on the TV a lot. We had to make sure Fubo had tennis. <laughs> it does. It has the tennis gotcha. channel. Mm-hmm. Um, Rafa Nadal, as I understand it, is all about speed, stamina, relentlessness, but also composure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not apparently not necessarily uh, doesn't necessarily have this incredible technique that is what sets him above everybody else. It's his speed, stamina, and composure that makes him able to sort of just keep going, keep going, keep going. So I thought of him as a sort of relentless number eight box to box midfielder. I like that. And I know that he's from Mallorca, so I would go and have him play for Real Mallorca in their relegation battle. <laughs> number eight central midfield, Rafa Nadal up and down the field for his hometown team. All right, Stu Holden, Carmartino. You listening? Get, get him on that plane. Yeah. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions? I didn't. I, 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 once I landed on Rafa Nadal, I was like, yes, this feels right. I, I have two for you. Um, I I really do enjoy some hockey, and I feel like NHL goaltenders goal tend to be similar to like soccer goalies in that a lot of focus on like ab work, core work, so they have a lot of flexibility, can so move can around. Get down and they, get back up. they play very late in life. Henrik Lundqvist was maybe one of my thoughts. He's 38 years old. I've gone with the Capitals goalie, uh, Braden Holtby, just because yeah. I want to see what a hockey goalie could do uh, in between the, the sticks in soccer. It's so much bigger, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, so I would just be fascinated as to the agility and how they would deal with that amount of space. Here's a genuine question. Is a soccer goal so much bigger than a hockey goal that the skill is not transferable? I don't know. Because, like, let's let's magnify the puck into a soccer ball. <laughs> However much bigger that is, let's extend that magnification to the goal and we'll see how much bigger that goal ends up being. Do you think being. it lines up? Like, more or less? Maybe. <laughs> it might even be harder. Um, but, yeah, so, and, but then you remove the padding. So who knows? But yeah. I, I would just like to see what the just kind of core work does. Just, no, these are my shin guards. There we go. They just <laughs> happen to come up above my knees. I mean, there's nothing. I, maybe there is a rule saying you can't have giant pads on. I don't know yeah, how much it would gloves, help you. Your gloves just go mm-hmm. to your elbows. He'd be fine. And then, What's his name again? Uh, Henry, uh, oh, excuse me. I wanted to see Henrik Lundqvist, but he's 38. I'll go Braden Holtby. And then my other one is just Serena Williams, because I'm fairly confident mm. Serena Williams can do all things. So I want to see Serena Williams uh, maybe just play for an NWSL team and see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Serena Williams, I could see her playing uh-huh. Yeah, I always, I always will forever. Sorry, I know we got to move. I would just forever love the uh, Marshawn Lynch clip of him. Like he tries different sports, and it's like uh, it's proposed that he play tennis against Serena Williams by like one of his like production assistants. He says like no, and she's like he's like no, that wouldn't be fair. Oh why? Because she's eight months pregnant. He's like no, because it's Serena Williams. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not. Like, I know how this is gonna go. Just go ahead and get married. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of my feeling on that one. Uh, next question comes. Yes. From Eric Myers. Yes. I was listening to Shortwave, an NPR science podcast, and it got me thinking about soccer. Uh, NPR often does that. If most of the world uses the metric system, why are the dimensions of a soccer field measured in customary units? Uh, for example, defenders must be 10 yards from the ball on a restart. The penalty box is 18 yards from the goal, etc. Uh, does FIFA's laws of the game truly use customary units, or is U.S. soccer converted to customary units for the benefit of Americans? Daryl, what are customary units? <laughs> Do you not know? Uh-huh. I had to research this, and I do know now. Uh-huh. Um, so the, 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 the reliance on yards, mm-hmm. like the 18 yards and all that, it's originally British, right? It's the British imperial system. 
And what I understand is when uh, ah. when it came over here, mm-hmm. it started being referred to as customary units, mm-hmm. right? So it's not an American thing. It's a British thing. Anglican to Episcopal sort of situation. Kind of, yeah, exactly. So Americans call them customary units. Originally, they were called the British Imperial System, which is yards, inches, pints, furlongs, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So th- this is as simple as this. You it's people not- are to blame for furlongs? Yes, I'm sorry. It's not about FIFA. It's about the uk it's about britain because when the laws of the game were codified in the 1800s we used the british imperial system um and the unit of length that we used mostly Mm. was yards that's why it's the six yard box Mm -hmm. it's the 18 yard box and essentially because it was originally measured in yards Mm -hmm. that language has just stuck and that's why we still call it the 18 yard box and if you the really annoying thing is do you know do you know how long a yard is compared to a meter uh, it's like just off, right? Isn't the meter like just longer? Close, it's like yeah. three point one eight or something like that. One yard is point nine one meters. Okay, so it's like oh, I almost yeah, yeah, it's sorry. almost enough that you can go one for one, yeah. but not quite enough. So the eighteen yard box is the sixteen point five meter box, yeah, and the six yard box is the five point five meter box. Oh, oh, it drives me, it yeah. drives me nuts. If they just made it the same, mm-hmm. then we. We would have been able to just easily um, easily switch over. Yes. And if you're wondering, does Britain still use those measurements? The answer is sort of yes, sort of no. Mm. We have landed on a weird hybrid system mm. where some things are in meters and some things are in yards. All right. All right. Well, I guess that sounds uh, typically English to me. I'm also <laughs> going to assume that you all are to blame for fathoms as well. Still don't know what that is either. I'm, I'm going to say yes. All right. That's fair. Uh, you all are not to blame uh, for today's sponsor, Roman. They can blame themselves for creating their own company. Uh, Daryl, if you were to guess on average how many days people in the United States have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? I'd say 29 days. You would? Because I've read this couple You're before. so smart, Daryl. You're I so sure smart. Uh, yes. 29 days, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as quickly as possible and, very importantly, probably as discreetly as possible as yep. well. When they say when you, you want treatment as soon as possible, mm-hmm. are we talking like it just happened in the middle and you're, you're about to go? What do you, you mean? Like, is the ASAP like, oh, I've got erectile dysfunction. This was about to happen. Yeah. And now it's not. I mean, I'm going to run to the doctor. That would be when symptoms would present themselves. <laughs> I'm I mean, guessing, yes. That's when you would find out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, if you show, if you're a doctor and you walk out and there's a person half clothed wrapped in a bed sheet, yeah, yeah. maybe that's where you could assume why they're there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state or from the comfort of your home. Mm-hmm. So you could keep the bedsheet and just get on the phone. Mm-hmm. So you, you could. Uh, you just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. So you've got to keep the mood going for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Just a lot of <laughs> massage and candles. Uh, and if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you free with two-day shipping. So now you've got two more days. But maybe just take a breather for a little while okay. and then get back into it. This is it. like a hold that thought kind yeah, of moment. Right? exactly. Um, you also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. Mm. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Thank you to Roman for sponsoring today's show. I concur. Uh, Thank you to Rachel Arnold for the next question. Why do soccer pundits like to pluralize names as in the Messis and Ronaldos of the world or your Gerrards, your Lampards, (laughs) as though they are all interchangeable? Is this an English thing? I'll take the last part first. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is very much an English thing. I only ever hear English commentators do it. Um, It's grammatically terrible and sounds really clumsy, Mm -hmm. but I think what they're trying to do 
is just generalize a type of player without yeah. picking a specific player, mm-hmm. right? So the example I would use is, um, I thought of Wolves, right? Wolves are on the up. Wolves are getting better and better players than they have in the past. But right now, Wolves couldn't afford to bring in the Messies of the world, mm-hmm. the Messies and the Ronaldos yeah. of the world. Mm-hmm. So you, because once you say Messies and Ronaldos, you're thinking of a class of player that earns an awful lot of money and mm-hmm. is like the highest the highest of high profile superstars the Messi's and Ronaldo's of the world are not going to sign for Wolves right now mm-hmm. and I think it's a way of doing it without saying specifically Leo Messi or specifically Cristiano Ronaldo you're also it's a catch all for players who are um, of that same ilk mm-hmm. yeah and, and so I, someone could say why didn't you include Neymar and then you could say well I kind of did because he's amongst the Messi's and Ronaldo's of yeah, the world and that's where my frustration with this comes from with this tendency comes from because I think there are these incidents where like you can use it and it makes sense but I think there are also times when you can use it as a way to sort of be vague in your answering like if you're if you're debating the skill of a player and you hear the pundit say like you know is he as good as your Neymar is your Mbappe's I don't know that for sure that to me feels like you don't definitively want to say this player is better than this player so you're sort of giving the general categories without having to go into specific detail as to why one is better than the other so I think we essentially have the same answer right Mm -hmm. which is that you use it to generalize without specifically naming a player but then you also get you get to sort of name a player Mm -hmm. as an example of the general category yes yeah Yeah. I think I I have more patience for the way you used it than the way most people (laughs) I think mine was just like a more um, uh, charitable interpretation of what commentators are doing. That is possible. (laughs) I feel that question's answered. Yeah. It's as simple as that, I right? think so. It's annoying, but we're stuck with it. And, and, and to reiterate, I do think you're right. It's an English thing. I, I hesitated on that one for a moment, but usually it's just like hard, firm, like talking points in, in American sports coverage that then like flip the next week when one performance happens and suddenly LeBron is the best player of all time. Actually, you could solve American things. Mm-hmm. If, if you're talking about like um, how good is Steph Curry? Is he as good as the LeBrons and the Michael Jordans of the world? You don't have to then have that conversation about who's the greatest of all time. Is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? But like... We know which LeBron you're talking about. Are you talking about like all LeBrons in the world? That seems uh, a bit a bit over the top. But you know what they mean, right? I do. Yeah. I do. Uh, I, I know what uh, Christian Ott means with the next question. What do you ask me then? All right, I can. Uh, assuming the USMNT qualifies for the Olympics, do you think it's fair slash acceptable to call in all of our big name U23s, uh, Pulisic, Adams, Dest, for example, over the guys who the actually qualified of the world. us? The Adams mm-hmm. of the world. Sorry, I, I cut off the last part of the question. Uh, no, you didn't. I, kept, I finished it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I talked over it, but you said, oh, is it fair to call in those guys over the guys who mm-hmm. actually qualified us? Yes. So assuming this Olympic qualifying tournament goes ahead mm-hmm. and like Aaron Herrera's there, mm-hmm. um, does, is it fair to then replace Aaron Herrera with uh, Sergio Dest if we actually go to the Olympics? I think, yes, it's absolutely fair to do that if we can do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's my number one answer to this is that's not going to happen. They're not okay. going to do that. Yeah. All right. So before we talk about why it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. which I agree with, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about why it's fair. Sure. Go ahead. I mean, Be- because, I because, I mean, even if we assume that, like, things went right and the United States qualifies for the Olympics, it, there is no way that we're going to get a – like, we're not getting the uh, the women's U20 result of, like, 44 goals for one against – we won everything. Like, yeah. there are still going to be things you learn in games, in matches, like, getting that experience of, oh, this player who we thought could do this can't do this. This player who we thought could do that is more adept at doing this. So you're evaluating the squad – and then you're kind of strengthening where you need to to be better competitive for a more competitive tournament. I think that's the key. It's a more competitive tournament, yeah. right? When we uh, go and play this uh, Olympic qualifying tournament, whenever that may be now, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be against like Mexico's the best team we could possibly face. Mm-hmm. Honduras is maybe the second best team we could possibly face. I don't know the strength of the relative U23 teams. 
But when you get to the Olympics, it's going to be a lot. The, the standard of competition is going to be higher, right? Mm-hmm. So just because this group of guys was good enough to get us qualified um, against those teams doesn't mean that's the best group of guys to go and compete against this higher standard of teams. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so. yeah, and, and there's no earned it in soccer mm-hmm. really in that way, right? No. You don't say, oh, well, they did us this favor by getting us there, so therefore we owe them something. Mm-hmm. Soccer is much more cutthroat. It's about who's in form, the best players you can get at that moment, and away we go. Yeah, and, and, and I think I understand where this line of questioning is coming from because I always had this frustration with the Gold Cup in years past where it was like, all right, against like the lower, lower teams that we should be able to beat and get out of the group, we'll have these guys, and then once we get to the knockout rounds, now we'll bring in like these six players people who would be oh, automatic starters. Oh, and they used to starters. do the, uh, yes. the roster change, yeah. right? Yeah, and that bring was... in Bradley and Altador and Nagby towards the, the yeah. half of the Yeah, Bradley's, your Altador's, your Nagby's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was where I'd get a little bit frustrated of, like, you had these guys who got you through the group stage, and now it's like, okay, now we're going to play the real tournament, yeah. and this feels like, no, they had their moment to shine and to prove that they deserve to be there, and if they have a really, really strong performance, it stands to reason that they would continue to be in consideration, but if they don't or have vulnerabilities or they're things that just Jason Christ doesn't like, it makes sense to replace them with people that he thinks could do a better job. Yeah, I mean, I Great. And I also just think pick the best players possible to give yeah. yourself the best possible chance. Also in a, a, fair, a fair line right. of reasoning, yes. But why won't Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Sergio Dest, Weston McKenney, why won't all those guys get called up for the 2020 Japan Olympics? I mean, assuming the, the Olympics yeah. goes ahead. I mean, the straight up reason is that teams aren't going to release players for the Olympics. Unless they don't have to. Yeah, unless there's like special situations. There's the Neymar, Copa America Centenario versus Olympics. Yeah. But even then, that's a very like specific, isolated incident. And that was also what Brazil hosting the Olympics. Yeah. So it made sense that Neymar had to be there. Mm-hmm. So they managed to, to get his release. Right. Right? And didn't they negotiate with Barcelona? Okay, you won't play at the Copa mm-hmm. America Centenario and he will play at the Olympics. Is that cool with you guys? And they basically said yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so uh, FIFA have said you are no longer obligated to release mm-hmm. players for the Olympics because it's not part of the official international match calendar. They've tried to enforce it in the past. In 2016, they accepted that we cannot enforce this. We would like clubs to cooperate, is what they said, but we, uh, we cannot make it so that you have to release them. Mm-hmm. If you're Chelsea, if you're uh, RB Leipzig, if you're... Ajax or Bayern Munich, depending on where Serginho Dest is mm-hmm. at the time. It is either the very end of pre-season and the season is just about to start, or the season has actually started mm-hmm. while this Olympic soccer is going on. You would be It's not like losing guys for a World Cup where there's nothing else going on and there's room in the schedule to go and play in this tournament in the summer. It's very different to that. There's overlap with the start of the season. So therefore, you want your players with your club because you want to make a strong start to mm-hmm. the season. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I have a thought experiment for you. Though. Yeah. If they were obligated to release these players do you think it makes sense for like would it make sense for the united states to stack that olympic uh qualifying roster yeah but i I think our reputation is so low down Mm -hmm. that we could do with a boost and a really strong olympic qualifying performance would give us a boost the only caveat i would say is i would only call up the players that wanted to do this Mm -hmm. right it might be that say Serginho dest has committed to the u.s Mm -hmm. we're all really happy about it he makes this move to Bayern Munich, and we're telling him... You have to, yeah. You have to, and you're going to miss the preseason with Bayern Munich to come and play in this Olympic tournament. And then Bayern are saying, OK, we'll release you, but you know someone else is probably going to start the season at right back. You're going to be low down the pecking order. It's a bad start to your Bayern career. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's then up to Serginho Dest, right? I wouldn't want to force his hand. I would completely leave it up to him which one he prefers to do. Yeah, yeah. OK. That, that, do you remember Gabriel Ainsley? Right. Didn't he do this with Man United? He just joined them. But then he went and played in the 2008 Olympics for Argentina. And Alex Ferguson was like, all right, fine, but he's got, a lot, he's got some catching up to do when he gets here. 
Yeah. Garrilinte is not a person you really want to uh, base your decisions on, is, is my, <laughs> still my feeling about that man. But yeah, Timothy Weah would be a good example of a player who like prioritized, I want to go to like big tournaments. He went to the U20 World Cup. Instead of the Gold Cup. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like that that is the type of player you would want on that Olympic roster if they were allowed to go and yep. if they were fully fit, neither of which describes Timothy Weah. Okay. So the answer is yes, but it's not possible because the players might not want to and the clubs almost definitely won't want to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, next question comes from Robert Cordova. How important was Daniela De Rossi for Italy? And a quick bonus question for Taylor. Does he forgive De Rossi for his attack on Brian McBride? So that attack on Brian McBride, I think, is actually very important to Daniela De Rossi's importance. I feel like we have the same answer, roughly. Italy. I would say he was massively important, but there's a massive hole where he went to the 2006 World Cup. Italy won the 2006 mm-hmm. World Cup. Daniele De Rossi was missing for four games mm-hmm. because he was suspended for elbowing Brian McBride in the face. Right. And uh, was a starter in their first game, starts yeah. against the United States, gets the red card, comes in in the final, yep. but as a substitute like at that half point. An hour, right? Yeah, converts his penalty in the shootout. Mm-hmm. But to your point, and I agree with you, this is where I was with it, it's sort of as a result, it doesn't feel quite like that's his tournament or he's as involved because he's suspended for so long. If he doesn't get that suspension, I think he's an integral midfielder for the world champions. Yep. And it does change my impression of him a little bit. It's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But also, weirdly, that was the beginning of his international career. Mm-hmm. He was only 22 yeah. at the 2006 World Cup. He goes on to play for Italy for ages and ages, right? He's in all kinds of tournaments. He plays uh, a lot of central midfield, defensive midfield. I believe he plays centre-back in a back three at one point, probably for Antonio Conte. Um, he, so he was massively important to Italy for a very long time mm-hmm. because he could do a bit of everything. This yeah. is what, watching, re-watching some footage, the reminder I got is that Daniele De Rossi is hyper-competitive, willing to run all day, um, can like intercept in a way that's almost like uh, Makaleli Kante mm-hmm. type thing. Like he can read the game and intercept, but then he also can really contribute to the attacking phase. Not with dribbling so much, but with really clever through balls and like uh, picking out passes from deep. So yeah. he could offer a lot going both ways, and was massively important. Because then you can also, you could play almost anyone alongside him, right? You could have a pure defensive midfield battler next to him, and then you've got two guys who can battle, two guys who can mm-hmm. defend, one guy who's brilliant at passing the ball. Or, say for Italy, you could pair him with Andrea Perlo, who's less defensively gifted, but De Rossi's making up for Perlo's defensive mm-hmm. uh, lacking. So he's really good as a, you could pair anyone with him because he can do anything. But at the same time, 2006 World Cup happens mostly without him. Right. And, and with that in mind, I think my answer is basically uh, my, my gut says not as important to Italy as he was to Roma. Uh, but I also think that there's an athletic article to be written about how he was secretly the most important player for Italy. And I think that could be a compelling argument made. Um, I also, to the question of, do I forgive him for his attack on Brian McBride? I do, because Brian McBride did. He, he said did, he was right, like a yeah. classy gentleman. And also from Didn't everything... Did he apologize immediately afterwards? Uh, that I don't know. I think, I think after the game, he went and apologized to McBride. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't tend to love when players do that in the moment. I feel like you got to give it time to like stop bleeding before you're like, oh, hey, my bad. Uh, but I will say that from everything I have heard about De Rossi, the player, he has that disposition, as you said, that like it makes it seem like he's Roy Keane, that he is that like you've got to work hard, you've got to match my intensity, and and from what I've heard, is the most like genteel. Like, like caring, like fatherly figure to young kids coming mm-hmm. through Roma. And I think it explains why he was so important to that club for so long and probably a role he also played behind the scenes for Italy, just maybe not publicly, again, because of that sort of more public persona of intensity. I actually think you've got the perfect um, way to describe Daniel De Rossi there, which is like Roy Keane, but nice off the field. Exactly. <laughs> 
right? There's all those things that made Roy Keane such a perfect player on the field yeah. and almost like so good at setting the standard, but also would just be mean for no reason mm-hmm. off the field. Yeah. Whereas instead, De Rossi is more uh, uh, nurturing and friendly and gentlemanly off the field. So Roy Keane, but nice. Yeah, we try not <laughs> to add the explicit tag to our shows. This show has really tested the limits of that for me. This is like the fourth time that I wanted to... Uh, aggressively curse uh, when describing like Roy Keane, but not, and then I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there, and instead I'm going to uh, move us on to talking about Black Tux. Today's show is sponsored by The Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or a tuxedo for their big day. Is Roy Keane a tuxedo guy? As in, is he the one that's like, this is like what you wear for ceremony, it's what you're supposed to wear as like a, a masculine fellow, or is it sort of like, this is stupid, I, we shouldn't have to dress like this? No one makes me dress like this. You think that's is what, it? Is what Roy Keane would say, mm-hmm. but he'd be wrong. He just doesn't know how good he could look if he went to theblacktux.com and got a suit or a tux that fitted correctly. That's right, uh, because if he were buying, if he were looking to rent, I'm guessing Roy Keane is a buying sort of person, uh, or at least probably has the bankroll to allow him uh-huh. to do so. Uh, you can find the formal wear you need uh, and you get the designs you might want. You get a, a positive experience as opposed to uh, if you go online, you can find many negative comments about many other companies that provide uh, tuxedo rentals. I think everybody has probably had a bad suit rental experience mm-hmm. or at the very least a like, uh, I'm just going to buy a suit next time. And then you don't because <laughs> you forget and then you have to do it all over again. The way it works with the theblacktux.com is you go online and you request uh, a free home try-on after you've picked the style that you want. The suit comes, you try it on. And if like you've got your measurements wrong or there's something slightly off about the suit, the key thing is they send it in time that you can send it back and you can get it altered. Uh, you can get the style altered, you can get the fit altered so that it definitely fits ready for your big event. That's mm. the key, right? They give you that window to try it on, make changes. You're not stuck with it. You can make it right. They can, they can help you make it right. You're not wearing like the quadruple XL bag on you. You can basically send yes. it back. And be like, oh, yeah, sure, we can make those alterations. And now like, you look fly. You'll look like James Bond himself. So whether you're <laughs> buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Mm-hmm. And if you want your event to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and get 10% off with code SOCCER. <laughs> did you say that in a British accent? I did. Why? Just because I wanted to make it sound like the way you'd say <laughs> That's theblacktux.com code SOCCER, soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. I cannot do a Daryl accent that has been previously established. It's a, it's a weird, unique part of the world. I, th- I think as with most Americans and also HBO, if I'm speaking like with an English accent, it's just automatically Cockney. That's, that's how it works. Right, yeah, that's, that's, how that's it what works. people default to, right? Yeah, looking and nobody at, needs to hear that. Looking at you, Don Cheadle. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have, I, have I mentioned Ford versus Ferrari on this show before? No. Uh, if anyone sees Ford versus Ferrari, Christian Bale's mm-hmm. accent and dialect is basically where I'm from. And Christian Bale's Welsh, right? Yeah. He's not from that area. He does a magnificent job of it. He is, he is up there for a, a person who is like from – he's from Wales and yet I think most people think he's American. That's interesting, yeah. Catherine he's, Zeta-Jones on that list as well. His, his accent is always flawless, right? Mm-hmm. Hers too when she does American. Yeah. It's been a while since she did any accent in a film. But That's yeah, true. Christian Bale, he, he can do some things. He, he can, can do, do some things. things. He can't answer the next question because we're going to do that instead. Zachary Lorton, what changes could be made by FIFA to make the Club World Cup something more entertaining and profitable? So, Zach may or may not know that mm-hmm. FIFA already has a plan and yep. has already approved its own plan. Mm-hmm. Zach, here's what's going to happen to the Club World Cup. For, for people who don't remember, this is the thing that always happens in December. 
and the European team beats the South American team in the final. Correct. That's basically what happens, right? FIFA have got a plan in 2021, in the summer, for a 24-team Club World Cup. Mm-hmm. The way they see this going down is eight European teams, six South American teams, three African, three CONCACAF, three from Asia, one from Oceania. And and a, and a partridge in a pear tree. Alan Partridge will do sports mm-hmm. commentary. <laughs> Back of the net. Obviously. Um, so the, and it will be almost like a World Cup-style tournament, mm-hmm. but with club teams. Yeah. That is what they're going to try and do to make the Club World Cup something more entertaining and more profitable. Right. I mean, and it, and it does do both of those if it happens for any number of ifs that could uh, be involved there. Yep. But yeah, because you suddenly have major, major teams, uh, primarily from Europe, it's worth noting, like, like going in there to compete. And maybe that raises the com- competitiveness a little bit because it's another opportunity for yeah. Liverpool to play Real Madrid, to play Bayern Munich, to play Juventus. Like mm-hmm. you could have all those teams involved. So I think it brings about that level of competitiveness. It brings and about the attention got- as a result. Boca, and mm-hmm. maybe you've got Corinthians, yeah. and you've got all the big-name South American teams. Yeah. And then I, I understand why there are a few African, CONCACAF, Asian, Oceania teams, because they, they are not as big a name draw. And you can't realistically argue that they can compete on the same level mm-hmm. as the Bayern Munichs of the world. There we go. Uh, and and, and it, does, it does feel like they've taken a play out of the UEFA playbook. Daryl is so happy with himself. Uh, that, like, the Champions League used to be, like, the champions of every domestic competition. But also we need, like, some more Spanish and European, or yeah, Spanish yeah. and English and German teams. Yeah, yeah. So let's just get the fourth place team why not here's the problem Mm -hmm. when this was announced in roughly october Mm -hmm. 2019 um, we're talking a lot about all the european teams who are going to be there right the european club association which is the essentially lobby group Mm -hmm. that represents all the big european teams said we are not interested in this uh we we are basically we're going to boycott this because we don't want to add any more games to our calendar they said we're willing to talk about this um once we talk about the new schedule for 2024 about how the whole soccer calendar works but right now we are not going to have to add a whole summer of games Mm -hmm. to our schedules right and and there are varying arguments uh for why they've taken that approach some of them i believe more than others there's the there's the sports washing uh, argument about it's What's like that, about? that like china uh china wants to host this event to sort of show what what china are doing positively as a way to distract from say the treatment of the Uyghur population okay. that's one theory i've heard it's the same was argument that, was that in the eca complaint though i'm not sure it was i'm no. not sh- no no i'm but I, I, they basically was, just said our clubs are playing too much soccer and you well, can't yeah. make us play more yes i but i guess what i'm saying is i could totally see them using that as a like no not until but also like pay us some more money or like like i just foresee that being the case now the question is can those clubs like i don't know what authority fifa really has to force them to cooperate with this because it's coming from uefa right it's weirdly new right Mm -hmm. because they i mean fifa runs the the tiny club world cup Mm -hmm. that we have right now with just seven or eight teams fifa has never operated any like gigantic mm-hmm. club team tournament right. right and yeah the those teams those european teams answer to uefa mm-hmm. and those south american teams af- answer to conmebol mm-hmm. and so on yeah, yeah. And, and i and i do wonder if this is a bit of a like checks and balances situation of maybe uefa even if they were maybe inclined to participate in this competition, it's also sort of FIFA exerting more control over other competitions yeah. that maybe they don't want fifa to have that much control over and just i think it makes sense mm-hmm. that if you're uh, if you play for a major european team mm-hmm. you often are also an international player yep. so you're often busy in the summers of like of 2020 you might be playing the euros mm-hmm. 2021's your year off right there would have been the confederations cup but that's a much smaller tournament this replaces that essentially mm-hmm. but if you need a summer off at some point you can't then say oh we're going to have this massive like world cup style yeah. tournament for club teams you just never get a break yeah so i think they don't really like it, which I think is maybe where that letter came so from. So what do you think happens then? 
does this ever happen? Because it feels like FIFA are really, really pushing this. Um, I, I think there is the possibility that the Euros get suspended until or postponed until next summer, and that sort of knocks this out of the running order oh, for a while. And maybe that's how, if things don't sort of move in any direction, maybe FIFA shelve it that way by like quietly saying, like, oh, it didn't really work out. Maybe we'll reexamine that later on. Uh, and then they don't. Here's my guess. Mm-hmm is when they do renegotiate the international match calendar mm-hmm. in, for 2024 onwards, there'll be fewer international friendlies. Yep. And in its place, the ECA will mm-hmm. go for this Club World Cup type yep. tournament. That feels like a... More club football, less international yep. friendlies. That feels like a, a FIFA solution to this. Of like, we'll take away the games that allow the national teams to get better and instead we'll make more money. I think that could Hooray! be it. I think that could be it. Are you ready for today's final question? I am indeed. It comes from Trevor Crowell. Mm-hmm. Trevor Crowell asks, why is artificial turf so reviled by soccer players and fans? Mm-hmm. I have never heard any NFL fan complain about the field conditions when their team goes away to play, say, the Patriots, but MLS fans complain incessantly about them when their team has to go away to play the Revs. Also, surely the turf that is going into the newest, most state-of-the-art football stadium are better in quality than the grass fields at USL grounds. I wish there were a way to know how Trevor felt about this topic. <laughs> um, I would also take issue, like, there were plenty of people who hated AstroTurf when the NFL first started rolling that Is that out. right? Yeah, there were people who did not like that. I mean, You don't hear it now, though, right? Uh, no, I think less so because they've moved away from, like, pure AstroTurf to field turf. Okay. Uh, and to Trevor's initial point about the field conditions for football, like, that's literally why they do it is because football destroys the field. It destroys the ground they play on. Like, look at the DC defenders. They tore up that Audi field mm-hmm. uh, ground. And so... And I think, again, a reason for that is because you don't really have the ball on the ground that much in, in American football, whereas you do in soccer. So this is my uneducated mm-hmm. answer, is that it doesn't matter as much in the NFL because like, there's literally no concern about the way the ball bounces. And yeah. also, you're, so, you're all padded up. Your skin is not as exposed mm-hmm. to the turf as if you're a soccer player. Yeah, and also... Those, I, are those accurate answers? They're I based mean, on ignorance because I don't know much about I mean, NFL. you definitely have more coverage and more padding, so it definitely covers some of the, the skid and the slide and the yeah. uh, tearing away of skin. And it doesn't affect the ball bounce, right? Because no. if the ball bounces, yeah. the play's dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I would also point out that if you're looking to the NFL to set standards for player safety, you're going to have a bad time. There is that. Yes. Is um, that but so, but I, I do think that a big part of it is, yeah, that like you can't, really afford to have a soccer field be completely destroyed, which is if you have that, like you can play an NFL game in puddles of rain. You, it definitely deteriorates the quality of play in soccer. So I think that's partially why it doesn't matter as much in the NFL. But to like the point of Trevor's question, why people don't like turf like itself, I have a few answers for you. Yeah. I think from a medical standpoint, you can get varying reports, but I tend to believe the ones that indicate that you get uh, increased stress on joints, specifically your ACL uh, when you're playing on turf because it's just not a natural surface. A lot of times in the past, at least, you had a much harder surface underneath it, so there wasn't as much give. You mm-hmm. don't have the kind of natural give that you would get from a more natural field. Even in like the heat of summer when that field is baked and dry, it's still a natural surface. Yep. Uh, on top of that, to the baked and dry point, in the summer, I think turf fields are on average 20 degrees hotter because a lot of times you use the little pellets. They moved away from the pellets, but even so, you have an artificial uh, surface that doesn't have the kind of... So like, there's no earth to absorb the heat. Exactly. So basically, it's on average much, much hotter to play on an artificial field. I would also say for myself, mm-hmm. when I've played on even high-quality artificial yeah. turf here in Richmond, because we, we have a lot of grass fields and artificial turf fields here in Richmond, yeah. Virginia, right? It's a really kind of like good city for sports yeah. uh, complexes. The ball does bounce differently really and move does. differently on artificial turf. Mm-hmm. I can't quite describe what it is, but I know that I don't like it as much as regular grass. I think I think it's that like... <sighs> I saw some different ways of explaining it. One thing for me is just that I find it harder 
to get underneath the ball. So I, I, I find okay. it harder to get more power and more lift behind it. And I think it's just because, again, you, you have that sort of unnatural surface that isn't going to move. If you put a divot in the ground, you put a divot in the ground. You're not putting a divot in turf. That's okay. not how that works. But the divot is proof that you can get – you can sort of get a little bit underneath the grass and yeah. lift it out, right? yeah. which is what probably what you're mm-hmm. doing when you're striking a ball if you're going for you know, yeah. and distance. And, and then with the sort of the unnatural balance, the unnatural like mechanics of it – that factors into you as the player. I, I'm assuming you have this as well, that when I'm playing on turf, I am constantly aware that I'm playing on turf. Yes. And so, whereas I'm like... That ball's going to bounce differently. Yeah. Or even like, I want to turn, ooh, but I'm on turf, I might need to like put... I just have to focus on things that would otherwise be subconscious or unconscious. That yeah. like, turning, I have to slow down a little bit more because I'm worried that it's going to give out a bit more because it's a different surface. And yeah. I think as soon as you're not 100% focused on what's happening, but instead on the like 99% and 1% is on the field, you've lost a little bit of focus. So I guess then the answer is that um, if you play mostly on grass, which mm-hmm. most soccer players do, then every time you play on turf, it is, even if it's not massively different, mm-hmm. it is just different enough yep. that you have to take it into account mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. And if you're watching as a fan, that leads to a slightly more uncertain game than you otherwise would have been used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and right there, you've got uncertainty. It means you're getting a different product. It means you're not getting as good of a product. And then I think final thing, unless you have more to go with, is just that it is also a more MLS thing to have turf. And I think that is also a big part of the frustration, a big part of the reaction, is that if you had everybody else in the world playing on turf, I think it feels less like, oh, we're being Americans and we're being frustrated. I see. Instead, like, that's kind of how it feels right now. And when you have European superstars come in and say, like, nope, I'm not playing there, yeah. it's not a great look. Yeah, Thierry Henry famously mm-hmm. was not, not happy because of his knees, was right. not happy to play on certain turf fields, which I don't even think he was medically wrong, right? If he's mm-hmm. absolutely trying to take care of himself, yeah. we kind of mocked him for it a little bit, but if he's really trying to take care of his knees it, it sort of makes sense uh, one thing I said one thing I read said uh, 45% more stress on your ACLs there we go that makes sense yep yeah. mm-hmm. and so, I like my ACLs I like my ACLs too I would like to keep them intact as would I Any, anything else to say on this day though? no I don't but think so we've got, we, we talked about a lot today we sure did one thing worth noting mm-hmm. no matter what happens with the coronavirus mm-hmm. Total Soccer Show will keep going knock on wood <laughs> yes we'll either be recording here in the office <laughs> yeah. Or we'll be recording from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've proven today with all these listener questions, a lack of games to talk about mm-hmm. does not mean there'll be a lack of things to talk about. We can no. take listener questions. Uh-huh. We've got all kinds of ideas for things that honestly I'd love to talk about, yep. but sometimes we don't have time because suddenly there's a Champions League game mm-hmm. and then there's an international game and we get distracted or our focus goes there. So there definitely will be content coming from the Total Soccer Show over the next three or four weeks. I was trying to jokingly come up with the thing that you would least want to talk about on a show. I'm not sure what it would be. I'll have to think about it some more. I think that's the secret. I'll talk about anything with you. Anything? Almost anything. All right. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to find the thing that would annoy you the most to have to talk about. No. (laughs) Just generally speaking. I think the answer is VAR. Uh, (laughs) Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. That is a thousand percent the answer. I feel like you knew it right away and just didn't want to say it out loud. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will be back again tomorrow. I'll be talking to Adam Bells from Scuffed. We are taking listener questions on Twitter. If you're hearing this early, check Twitter. You can get a question in right now. A knowledge crossover.